let's read Hebrews 11 now together. The first three verses by faith. This is God's word. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. We'll read those verses again. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Amen. Frida was here this morning and she was encouraging all of you, or those of a certain age, uh, perhaps you might want to go to the friendship group. I was there just before the summer. Uh, I was roped in to do uh, a panel. John was there, one of John's uh, friends, well, sorry, John's only friend was there as well. And somebody else couldn't come and so they roped me in. And there were all these questions. And one of them that had been passed up to the panel uh, was something about how life is so hard and when you rather just go back to the old days. Now, I'd been asked a similar question, so I was ready to answer it because the reality is we, we might reminisce about the 50s or the 40s or the 30s or even way, way, way back, but actually, do you know what? Those days weren't that good. And there I was uh, speaking to a room full of pensioners uh, and I'm a very eloquent person most times, but I told them that day, do you know what, folks? Let's not kid ourselves. If this were 100 years ago, most of you would already be dead. True story. Now, I don't know if they wanted to hear that or not, but it's a true story. 100 years ago, most of those pensioners wouldn't be sitting there in their 70s, 80s, and 90s. 100 years ago, most of you would not uh, have ever sampled the delights of university. Your children wouldn't be going to university. In fact, probably your children wouldn't have even gone to school. You'd have been sitting there perhaps with no teeth in your head. Uh, you'd be sitting there not exactly busting to get home because you'd probably be living somewhere with no central heating, no shower, no running water, etc., etc., etc. See, we put the rules, tinted spectacles on, and we, we long for those days, don't we? I remember my minister at home, Robert Beggs, told us about that, and he uh, grew up just up the, the Craigie Road, and he remembered glorious days where the ice on the windows in his bedroom actually started coming on the inside as well. He says you'd wake up and you'd knock the ice and you'd break the ice on the inside, and that's how you knew how cold it was, and you thought, Robert, that sounds awful, but he had a big smile on his face, reminiscing about the days that the ice actually grew on the inside of the window. Folks, mental. I'm glad we are where we are today. I really am. I wouldn't have wanted to live in the 1800s. But when it comes to the book of Hebrews, the big issue throughout the book, and I would encourage you to go back and to listen uh, to the sermons. We spent a whole six months, maybe. Maybe it was even a year, but we, we worked our way through the book, every verse, every passage, all the way through. So go back and listen to that. But the, the big issue in Hebrews was these Jewish, ethnic Jews coming to Christ longing for the things of the past. Longing for 
the days and the feasts and all that stuff that went with Judaism, wondering if part of their difficulties and, and the persecutions that they were going through could be solved by just going back in time. And Paul writes to persuade them that that is not an option. And he writes to persuade them that it isn't any, uh, anything to write home about because, because now Christ has come. The fullness has come. Now Jesus is here, and, and so they, they wouldn't want to go back, surely, because the best that we could ever possibly receive has already arrived. And not only that, Paul writes this letter, and he does so to assure these Christians who are wondering if we can go back to the temple and to the priesthood and to the sacrifices and, and to all that stuff, Paul writes to assure them, do you know what? It isn't a matter of Jesus against the the Old Testament. It's not a matter of Jesus against the patriarchs, Jesus against Abraham, or Jesus against Enoch, or all these guys. In fact, if you could go back, you would discover that all of these individuals that we will get to know through Hebrews 11 over the next couple of weeks, all of them were in Christ. All of them were in Jesus. So it's not a matter, says Paul, of going back to a different way of life and a different system different rituals and going a different path, but ultimately getting to the same God, that is not right and it is not possible. Hebrews 11, and indeed the whole book, interprets the Old Testament, and Paul writes to say, Jesus has come, he has fulfilled the promises, he is the great prophet, priest, and king, trust in him. And friends, I know already, perhaps that might seem like a controversial message. One of the reasons I I wanted to preach this is because you hear more and more, not just in church, but outside church, that, that the Old Testament is foreign ground for us as Christians. It's out of bounds. It's, it's odd and it's strange. And you know what? At times it feels like that. I, I know it is. I, I was here and we preached through Leviticus and there are many nights in Leviticus where we're thinking, what on earth is that about? I get it. But the Old Testament is the story of the church of Jesus Christ. He is yet to come. He is yet to die. He is yet to be raised from the dead. But it is the story of Christ as the church looks forward to his coming. And I think we will see that all the way through Hebrews chapter 11. Because all the way through this book, as we will discover over the next few weeks, there are two little words that describe all of these individuals that you and I will find not in the New Testament, but in the Old. We are told about Abel and Enoch and Noah, and Abraham. We're told about Jacob, and Sarah, and all these individuals, and, and Isaac, and Joseph, and Moses. We're told about them all. Two little words describe each and every one. By faith. By faith. It is a constant refrain all the way through Hebrews 11. By faith. By faith. By faith. And so if you were ever confused about the Old Testament, and how individuals in the Old Testament were saved, how they came to know the righteousness of Christ imputed to their account, how they came to be in a right relationship with God, it certainly was not by works. It couldn't have been. That was impossible. We have spent a summer in the book of Galatians where Paul makes that absolutely clear. No one will be justified before God under the law. It, it can't happen. It couldn't happen in the day of Abel or Abraham or Enoch or Isaac or anybody else we meet in Hebrews 11, and it certainly cannot happen today. 
So how then was anybody made right in those days? It was by faith. By faith, by faith, by faith. This morning, if you were here and if you were listening, I mentioned the name of an ancient heretic, someone called Marcion. And this was his whole big daily. He just could not square the Old and the New Testaments. He, he just could not figure out how the Old Testament God could be the same as the New Testament God. And yet if Marcion, I feel, had paid more attention to Hebrews, and especially Hebrews chapter 11, I think he will see here that, that Paul leaves no room at all for the Old Testament God to be different from the New. There is one God, and he has always been Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He has not changed in the 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. That, again, is false heretical. The Lord God Almighty has always been the same. And this morning, as, as I preach to you, I hope you got that impression. As we meet him in Exodus chapter 34, we realize that he is a God of grace. He is a God of mercy. He is a God, yes, who will judge sin and pour out his wrath upon those who do not trust him. But he offers the hand of friendship to sinners like you and I. He offers salvation to men and women like us. You and I look back to the cross, and the men and women of faith in the Old Testament looked forward. The system that the Hebrews wanted to go back to was designed to, to push people forward to Christ. The law was never meant to save them. It was impossible for that to be the case. It was meant to teach them and lead them to Jesus. The Old Testament sacrificial system was never meant to save them, but as they brought their little animals to be sacrificed and clung on to them, they were to be thinking of the day that the, the ultimate sacrifice would come and his blood would make right their sins once and for all. It was meant to point them to Jesus. The kings who sat on the throne of the kingdom of Israel were never meant to be there forever. They were never meant to come as saviour. David would die, and Solomon would die, and the kingdom would fall. But the kingdom would even point men and women forward to the day that the king of kings would come. The Old Testament, if you like, is a sermon that it points forward to the coming king. And it is by God's grace, there's that word again that we use this morning, folks, it is by God's grace that we live in a day and age where we have the complete canon of scripture, 66 books, start to finish, A to Z, that you and I can read, and we are a blessed people. Because the church of Jesus Christ, for most of history, has not been in that position. Abram and all these Old Testament men and women of faith would not have had the scriptures the way we do. And even, even until relatively recently, men and women like us wouldn't have had the Bible anywhere near them. It might have been written in Latin, it might have been in the hands of a priest, but you probably wouldn't have had 17 Bibles that you've got in your own home. We are a blessed people. We've got the whole story, and it's not two stories and two gods and two paths, but it is one path. It is the path that leads us to Christ, and when we meet Christ, we receive him by faith. And what is faith? Well, our Westminster Catechism, Shorter Catechism, puts it this way. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace, whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. Faith is a saving grace, whereby we receive, I always do this, we receive and 
rest upon Christ alone as he is offered to us in the gospel. Faith is a receiving and resting in Christ. In Hebrews 11, it's put another way. This famous verse that probably most of us have remembered, we read that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Two words jump out at us there about our faith, about our saving faith in Christ. It is an assurance and it is a conviction. An assurance is defined as a positive declaration intended to give confidence. Someone comes to you and tells you words of assurance, they will say, do you know what, it's going to be okay. I'm with you to the very end. Do you know what, me and you, whatever comes, I will face it with you. It's kind of like what Wilbert and George say in the car, out in the car park. They hold hands and look at each other. I'm with you, Wilbert. I'm your best friend. Wilbert says, shut up, George, and get out of the car. But, but that's what it is. It's assurance. That's faith. When we receive Christ, when we are in Christ, and we have been given this gift of faith, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And just like all the Old Testament believers who were hoping for something better, so too we as part of the church of Jesus Christ are hoping for something better. We are hope, hoping for days where all the wickedness and sin goes. We're hoping for days where we live with Christ. We're hoping for days that sin is no more and death is no more and tears are no more. That's faith. We hope for those days. And faith gives us the assurance that our hope is not in vain. Sometimes our faith is strong and sometimes it is weak. We are human, we are up and down and we're all over the show, but as we have received that faith, think there's that baseline and that foundation in each of our lives that knows truly the best is yet to come. Truly the best is yet to come. One of the things as I've prepared this week that I've been thinking about in relation to this is tonight is the first night that we have come to the Lord's Supper and our dear brother Stanley Ray is not with us. And yet I need to watch my language because the reality is our dear brother Stanley Ray is with us. We know where he is. We know where he has gone. We know what he is doing. We know that he has not lost his membership of the invisible church of Jesus Christ. We know how he has accomplished all of this. It is by faith. And although each one of us now perhaps will have loved ones who we miss, long for, desperately hope that we will see again. They're beyond our sight and they're beyond our reach and they're beyond our prayers and beyond our touch, but by faith we have an assurance of the things hoped for and in this particular case the assurance of one day we will be with them once more. Friends, that's faith. We know that life at times is wicked and often we will be in here There'll be a wooden box down there, and we will be incredibly sad and mourning. And yet, as Paul says, we do not mourn as others do who have no hope. Faith. Friends, a lot of years ago, I was preaching in Bangor. Uh, and I was in Trinity, Bangor. Very, very nice place, Bangor. John might get called a Bangor. They'll like him in Bangor. 
housewife's favourite over there, up in Bangor. I preached in Bangor just the once, never been invited back to Bangor. But I can say it's on my CV, I, I preached in Bangor. You know, I bump into fellow ministers, that's how I start the conversation. I preached in Bangor once. There I was in Bangor, and my minister from home came uh, to hear me preaching, and he came to speak to me afterwards, and, and he told me, and I'm sure I've shared this with you before, but something extraordinary, he said, Scott, your, your grandfather prayed every single night for you. I remember looking back on my life with my granddad and not really wanting much to do with my granddad. He only lived down the street, like three doors down the street. My granddad's TV was black and white. And you went and sat with granddad and he'd fall asleep. And if you were sick, he'd try and give you hot whiskey and it was bogging. No wonder I'm teetotal, thanks to granddad Woodburn, you know. Granda took dementia, it was a wee bit embarrassing, and you know, he would do stuff that made you feel a wee bit silly, and you thought, oh, what's Grand up to now? Granda's friend used to give him a blue molded potato bread and soda bread out of the bins at the back of the coal, and Granda didn't want it, so Granda would give it to my mum, and him and my mum would fight, and they'd fall out for a day or two. And I didn't know that Granda prayed every night for me and my salvation. I didn't know Granda was a Christian. And even though I didn't get to speak to him about it, and even though I regret how I often talked to him and treated him, by faith I have an assurance that one day we will converse once more. One day in that glorious place called heaven, where our hope is that we will be with Christ. But a lesser hope, I think, is that we will see those again who we know and love and care for. Faith is an assurance of things hoped for. And faith is also a conviction of things not seen. We are utterly convinced we have this fixed and firm belief in the things that we have been taught. We are sure, even in the darkest days, that, that Christ will not leave us or forsake us. We are absolutely convinced when life is really, really tough that that Christ will not let us slip through his fingers. We are convinced of these things. Boris Johnson recently has said that he would rather be dead in a ditch than ask for an extension to Article 50. He wants to leave the European Union at Halloween. But he'd rather be dead in a ditch than to do that. Big talk, isn't it? Big talk. I suspect Boris Johnson has never been anywhere near a ditch. He employs people to dig ditches do things like that, but he'd rather be dead in a ditch. Sounds like a man of conviction. And if we're around in Halloween, we will see. We will see. Who knows what will happen, but he would rather be dead in a ditch. Folks, perhaps we don't speak like that about our faith. That's the conviction that it brings to our hearts. When we receive and rest in Christ, as he is offered in the gospel, we receive this conviction this absolute, unshakable belief that who we have trusted is good, the promises he has made are true, and even when we are standing, weeping and wailing at, at awful things that have happened, we are sure, certain, steadfast, rock solid, convinced that Christ is for us. Faith is that receiving and resting in Christ as he is offered to us in the gospel. Faith is an assurance of the things that we long for and hope for. Faith is a conviction of things that we cannot see. 
As we receive Jesus, this is the faith that he gives us. And even in the face of doubts or questions, faith stands firm. Paul says in verse 3 that it is by faith that we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And here Paul takes us to creation and he says, this is a a sure sign of our faith. We, We weren't there to see it. We weren't there to witness how God did it, but by faith we understand, we, we believe, we are assured, we are certain that everything we have ever seen, everything we have ever touched, every place we have ever been, it was God that did that. And it sounds too good to be true. How did God do it? Well, he did it by his word. How did he do it? Did he gather up all the elements and atoms and, and stuff into a big barn and then make it? No. The Bible tells us that he made it out of nothing, ex nihilo, out of nothing. God speaks by the word of his mouth, and he makes everything that we see and know out of nothing. And by faith, we receive this truth. The Westminster Confession puts it this way. It pleased God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness in the beginning, to create or make of nothing the world and all things in it, whether visible or invisible, in the space of six days, and all very good. I can't imagine what that was like. I can't imagine what it must have been to, for there even to be nothing. We, we're so used to having air. We can't see it, but we know it's there. We're breathing it in. Well, in the beginning, there was no such thing as air. In the beginning, there was only God. God alone was was there and he always had been there. You spend some time in the bath tonight thinking about the eternal nature of God. Always there. Not made, not created, no mom and dad, God eternal. That in itself blows your mind. Never mind the fact that when you think about his creation that that it just humbles us. I read this week that uh, there's a moon on Mars called Olympus Mons and it is 14 miles tall. That's hard for us maybe to grasp, but Mount Everest is five and a half miles tall. So if you've ever been up Everest, if you've ever seen pictures of it, the biggest mountain on planet Earth, there's one on Mars three times the size. God did that by a word of his mouth out of nothing. And I read this week that they believe there are 200 billion galaxies in the universe, 200 billion. And with some fancy calculations, they reckon that that means there are one with 24 zeros after it, planets in the observable universe. Can you even fathom the size of that number? And yet every single one of those planets was fashioned and shaped by the word of God. I can't understand it. I can't grasp it. But by faith, We understand that the universe was created by our God, by his word, out of nothing. We can be assured of that and certain of that. That is faith. But folks, as I preach tonight, I know and you could tell me that faith is wonderful, but sometimes faith is incredibly hard. John Calvin puts it this way. He says... These two things, meaning the assurance and conviction that we've talked about, apparently contradict each other. 
And yet they agree perfectly, says Calvin, when we are concerned with faith. The Spirit of God shows us hidden things, the knowledge of which we cannot reach our senses. Eternal life is promised to us, but it is promised to those who are dead. We are told of the resurrection of the blessed, but we know that we ourselves are involved in corruption. We are declared to be just by God, but sin dwells within us. We hear that we are blessed, but meantime we are overwhelmed by untold ministry, miseries. We are promised an abundance of good things, but we are often hungry and thirsty. God proclaims that he will come to us soon, but he seems deaf to our cries. What would happen to us, says Calvin, if we did not rely on our hope and if our minds did not emerge above this world out of the midst of darkness through the shining word of God and his spirit? Calvin points us to the truth that sometimes our faith is so hard-pressed. We know the promises of God, but we know the realities of life. We know the word is true, but we we know the weakness of our faith. And that is why tonight, my brothers and sisters, we come to this place to be strengthened by word and by sacrament. God knows what we are like. God knows that our faith is not perfect. God knows our faith sometimes resembles that great prayer of Mark, we believe, help my unbelief. So how does he help our unbelief? How does he strengthen our weak and wavering faith? talks to us. He speaks to us on a weekly basis. He, he speaks in a language that we can understand. We are blessed people to have the language in our common tongue. How does he strengthen our weak and weary faith? He feeds us around his table. He gives us tangible things to touch and hold and to taste so that we remember his promises and our faith is strengthened and our assurance and our conviction is built. God uses ordinary means to strengthen the faith of his people. And so, friends, tonight as you have sat under the word, and some of you today have heard it twice, and soon we will come to a table where we will eat and drink together, these things are not going through the motions and we just do them because that's what the church does. These things are for us. To strengthen that glorious gift of faith that God has given to us. Because as I reminded you at the start of this service, without faith, it is impossible to please God. But by faith, verse 2, the people of old received their commendation. All these men and women who sometimes we believe and Marcion assures us were saved in a different way. All these people in the odd and obscure pages of the Old Testament that we're tempted to believe have nothing to do with us. Paul says something extraordinary. This gift of faith was the means by which these men and women received their reward, their commendation, their status as men and women belonging to Jesus. And so friends tonight, we may struggle to, to bridge the old and the new. Sometimes our faith can feel so very, very small. But I assure you tonight that without faith it is impossible to please God, but you have been called by faith. 
Therefore, tonight, as you are in Christ, may you please God abundantly. Double points for anybody that can cast their minds back to about 11 o'clock this morning. When my wee beardy face got up here for the first time and started the morning service. Here's the psalm that I began with, and here's the psalm that I end with tonight. Psalm 149. People of faith, men and women, who have this assurance and conviction. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. What a gift it is to be someone who has faith. Weak and weary faith. But faith nevertheless. Amen. And we thank God tonight for his word.